Put some mics on the other side. Like one per band. No, I'm not singing that. Uh, as I get started, I, I've got uh, some of the guys passing out uh, a little flyer uh, for something, and I wanted to talk about it uh, before I get started with my part uh, this morning, because this is something new that we're doing, and uh, instead of just making a bunch of flyers and putting them in the back, I thought I could at least explain a little bit about what we're doing. So you guys know that for many years, this congregation has hosted a weekend in March for young people that we call the Bible Workshop Weekend. Well, uh, we have decided, and the elders have decided, and we've begun planning uh, what we are going to call an adult Bible Workshop Weekend. That is the same idea and the same format, uh, but intended for not just our young people, but for the rest of us, for adults. And so I wanted to uh, give you all uh, an opportunity to look at what we've put together and uh, think about and be making plans uh, for you to be there. Uh, so I wanted to give you a little information about that before I got started this morning. So um, let's see, Saturday, October 12th is the day that we're targeting. It's going to be a one-day thing. It will be different from the uh, normal youth workshop where we have a singing. We're not going to have a singing. Uh, and uh, so we're not going to do anything on Friday. We're just going to focus on that day, Saturday, October 12th. Uh, I checked. I don't think that the Razorbacks are playing anybody good, and they're not playing at home or anything, so you can just record that if that's important to you. Uh, and by the way, just so you know, the Aggies are playing Alabama that day. It's a big day for me, and I'm going to be here, so you have no excuse. All right, so Saturday, October 12th is what we're, we're aiming for. Uh, we are inviting men from around Arkansas and surrounding states to teach and lecture here at the building. We're going to meet here, and we're going to have divided classes, just like our youth workshop uh, and have different uh, formats in which uh, different men are going to do that. I'll show you who they are in just a moment. Uh, our topic is devoted to prayer. We're going to focus on prayer, and we're going to take basically from about 9 in the morning. Oh, I forgot the exact time, and of course, I didn't keep one of those flyers for myself. Until uh, mid-afternoon, uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, prayer and different uh, aspects of prayer. Our goal is uh, to encourage and edify our adult members. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen got me one. Okay, until 3.45 is when we're planning on, about 4 o'clock, we'll be planning on being done. Our goal is to encourage and edify our adult members to deeper service through intense study and social connection. Just like we do with our young people, we want them to come and have an intense day of Bible study, being together, focusing on one another and on the Word, and so that's what we're going to do for our adults. Uh, my, I'm going to encourage you, especially those who have young children, if you can, to find a way to get a babysitter. I'm going to encourage that uh, just because I want it to be a priority, and we want our young families to be involved, our young couples, uh, because if that's possible, we want you to be here and benefit from that. Uh, so uh, what we're going to do and the way we're going to run the format is we're going to encourage you to pick the classes you want to attend. So in, in the first session, we're going to have the Prayer Habits of Jesus taught by Shane Carrington. The Prayer Habits of David, taught by Ryan Goodwin, and Developing Family Prayer Habits, taught by Drew Nelson. So these three men are coming. They're all going to be teaching at the same time in different places here in the building, and you need to pick one. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to encourage you to register online beforehand. There is a link in your little pamphlet. There's a little code that Richard made that you can just take a picture of it, and uh, your, your phone will automatically go there, and you can register for the class you want. So pick one of these classes. Uh, the second session, we're going to have... Uh, studying Paul's prayers, praying for other spiritual growth with Drew Nelson, praying for gospel opportunities with Ryan Goodwin, and then there's a ladies' study that Sarah, my wife, is going to teach about how prayer helps anxiety. 
Uh, and then uh, the third one is, in my view, uh, the one that I'm most interested in, not to knock any of these guys or these topics, but it's the tough questions about prayer in the late afternoon. Why does God tell us no? Uh, taught by Chuck Durham. How do I pray for my enemies? Talked by John Duvall. And then uh, elders, oil, and confession, James 5, 13 to 18, uh, taught by Shane Carrington. We're also going to have two lecture sessions throughout the day. You can look at your schedule on your little brochure you have there, uh, but uh, we're going to ask you to pick your classes that way. So uh, that's what we're aiming for, and uh, be in prayer about that. Be planning for that on Saturday, October 12th. If you have any questions about that, let me know. Uh, we're hoping for participation from everybody in this area, Christians all over central Arkansas, but we wanted you to know about it because we want our people to be here, okay? Even if nobody else comes, we want our people to benefit from this. So, in other words, we haven't advertised this at all because we want you to be able to get in and register. We don't want it to be overwhelmed by other people. So, I would encourage you to do that uh, and uh, register online at the website, or you can have the link or the QR code on the flyer. All right. Thank you for that. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. It is good to see you this morning and be with you. I appreciate those who have led us in worship. It has been a good service for me. I've enjoyed being in worship with you. And we're happy to see that we have visitors with us. We want you to know we're glad that you're here. Thank you for visiting with us. We'd love to get to know you. If you have questions about us and what we do, the things that we're trying to accomplish, and the reason we do the things we do, we'd love to talk to you about that. But thank you most of all for being here. Luke chapter 14. In Luke 14, Jesus has been invited to eat at a Pharisee's house. And it's a very interesting setting because at the beginning when he gets to the Pharisee's house, he heals a man. Then Jesus seems to be kind of a difficult dinner guest because he begins to criticize the people for how they're picking their seats. And then he says, you know what? Who, how'd you get on this guest list? You know, next time you throw a party, don't invite your friends. You need to invite all the other people, people who can never repay you. And then there is a, in my view, well-meaning soul who speaks up in verse 15, Luke 14 and verse 15. When one of those who had reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Won't it be great when God establishes his kingdom? We have the great messianic banquet that Isaiah talked about. And Jesus tells a story. Verse 16, he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And I want to talk to you about that story. I want to talk to you about what Jesus is going to teach about the kingdom. As this man has this great idea, won't it be wonderful? And Jesus says, well, maybe. It kind of depends. We've been studying the kingdom this year. We've been calling it the unstoppable kingdom. So we talked a lot about how Jesus came saying that the kingdom that has been long awaited and prophesied has finally come. And we talked about some of the different senses of that kingdom. How the kingdom has come and yet has not yet come in some senses. And then we spent a lot of time talking about how Satan attacks the kingdom, as he does in the book of Acts. And last month, we began breaking down the ways Jesus tries to explain the kingdom. And that's what I want to continue with this morning. I want to talk about how Jesus uses parables to help us understand some things about a really difficult idea that's really poorly understood both then and now, the idea of what the kingdom is like. And so what we're going to do this morning is talk about how Jesus explains the kingdom by talking about party invitations. Specifically, what we're talking about this morning is how Jesus explains the kingdom in terms of responses. That the kingdom is about how we are going to answer God when God offers us something wonderful, just like when we've been invited to a party. And so that's going to help us understand not only what the kingdom is, but what God expects from us. So let's think about that for a few moments. What we're going to say is the kingdom is like... 
you've been invited to a party. Let's read in verse 16, Luke 14 and verse 16. It says, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So Jesus tells the story from the point of view of the host. I'm throwing a party and I make the plans. I put everything together and finally everything is ready. He says he invites the people ahead of time. Verse 16, he invites them. And then when the time comes, he says, everything's ready. Come to the feast. Now, how hard is this? He has done all the work, right? He has made the plans. He has gotten the food ready. He has invited the people. All that they have to do is respond, is just come. But the response is surprising. In verse 18 it says, they began to make excuses. And the excuses, by the way, are particularly lame. Did you notice? I bought a field and I need to go see it. Well, that sounds pretty urgent, right? That field, if it doesn't get seen, I don't know what's going to happen. I bought some oxen. Got to go test them. Got to see how they do. All of these things. Oh, oh, by the way, I married a wife. Sorry. Just got married. Can't do anything. You see what's happening. See, the, the, the host, he hears it in exactly the right color. It's not hard to hear it. The answer is, no, I don't care. I don't want to come to your feast, and I don't really care about you. You ever get an invitation? From somebody that you don't want to go to their party? You ever get an invitation and you say, I don't think so. That's the idea. Now, there is a reason why we have that reaction, isn't there? We don't have that reaction to people we care about deeply. We don't have that reaction if we're excited. Instead, we have that reaction. And in doing so, we dishonor the person who's invited us. That's what's happening here. It's not just the party. It's about what the party says. And going to the party or not going to the party makes a statement about our relationship with that person. That's what he's saying. So the master is angry. Verse 21. The master became angry, said to his servants, go find some other people. And so he goes out. And then there are still others. After he has gone out for that first sweep of, let's just get somebody in here, he says, well, go out and find people and and compel them. The word means force them here because somebody is going to eat this food. But it won't be anybody I invited. And so Jesus ends the parable in verse 24 by saying, nobody who was invited will taste my supper. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. This is a very similar story, and I want you to see it and kind of put these things together as we, as we draw this point. Matthew chapter 22. So in Luke's account, what you have is you've been invited to a party, and if you reject the invitation, you not only don't get the blessing of going to the party, but you also shame the one who invited you. Matthew chapter 22. This is a similar story. Let's read it beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. 
Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you may find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now you can see this story has some different elements than the one in Luke. It is a story about a king who's giving a wedding feast for his son. And yet it still reads similarly because you still have the idea of a host inviting people. And instead of giving the excuses, verse 3 says they just refuse to come. The people are invited and they just say, no, we don't read their excuses. But he asks again. Did you notice that in verse 4? Again, he sent other servants. See, I prepared my dinner. And he talks about, look, listen, we're going to have great food. It's going to be awesome. I've got all these things ready. It's almost as if the king takes a little while to get the message. I mean, how many times does he have to ask and get no's before he finally says, all right, maybe they just don't want to come. Maybe they're just not interested. The difference in Matthew's story is this is a king. So when people do this to him and they hurt his servants, he retaliates and he comes and he he kills the people who are murderers and he burns their city. And now he says, all right, let's try this again. Sends out servants to fill his hall. So we have a very similar story here. But there is one difference. Did you notice at the end of the story this this little weird tidbit about the guy with the wedding garment? In verse 11, he saw a man with no wedding garment. Verse 12, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So he is cast out. Jesus summarizes, many are called, but few are chosen. So what what are we doing here? What, What is all this about? Well, Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom is like an invitation to something that you have been offered. You've been invited. It's been made for you and made ready for you. God has given a blessing, and he is offering it to you. And your response to that invitation reveals your heart. How seriously do you take that offer? How much do you respect the one who's offering this to you? It's all shown by how you answer the invitation. But there is an interesting subtlety to it. That is, we might think there's only two ways to answer a party invitation, right? You either go or you don't go. But Jesus actually says, no, that's not it. See, for some people, there's the flat-out refusal. I'm going to make excuses. i got to go check out my field. So that is one response. But there is another response that is initial agreement without the proper commitment level. I'm going to go, but I'm not going to go dressed right. I'm not going to go prepared. And I believe Jesus is referring to people who are going to respond to the invitation, but they're not going to be really committed. They're going to follow him, but they're not going to be serious about it. And so he is saying, that's a lot like going to the wedding feast without the right clothes. What do you think the host is going to do when he sees you there? He says, the host is going to say, get out of here. So, in Jesus' words, these are the kind of people who have not counted the cost. 
But all of that falls under the general umbrella of God is inviting you to something. He wants to give you blessing. And now the, the ball is in your court. Are you going to say yes or no to God? You've been invited to a party. Or, to use another image, Jesus says the kingdom is like you planted seed in your garden. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. This is the same idea with a different picture. Luke chapter 8. We talked a little bit about this story last month when we talked about the idea of seed. But I want to go into a little more detail with it here and show you how it's about responses. Luke 8 and verse 4, it says, When the great crowd was gathering, people and people from town to town came to him. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Drop down to verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus talks about how seed falls on different kinds of ground. He talks about four kinds of ground. He talks about some that falls on the wayside. And the idea here is there is a lack of understanding. Now, please don't, when you hear the words lack of understanding, please don't think we're talking about intelligence. That is not the idea. These are people who hear the word and don't understand it, not because they don't understand things, but because they are not capable in their present state of processing spiritual truth. They're not listening with the right ears. They don't want to hear it. And so when they hear Jesus' teaching. They just say, oh, that, that's weird. I don't get it. Not because they're mentally unable, but because they're spiritually unable. I encounter this response quite frequently. You know, there are a lot of people in our country who, when you talk to them, they think that because they know the general truths of Christianity and they know some Christians that they understand the full depth of what it is to be a Christian. And so their conclusion about being a Christian is that being a Christian is just about churchy words and lots of empty hope and judgmentalism. And that's really what that's about. That's what they see it, and they don't grasp the depth of it. It's not that they don't understand the ideas. It's that they don't process the depth of the ideas. And so you can talk to them a lot, read them a lot about the Bible, but it's a lot like throwing seed on hard ground. It just doesn't really get anywhere. And Jesus says that's a type of response to the gospel. That's a type of soil. For some, he talks about a lack of depth. That means a lack of internal commitment. He talks about that in verse 13 there, where he says, The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So Jesus describes characters like this. I believe these are the kinds of people that come to the wedding feast without the right garment on. They respond, they, they want to do what's right, but they don't have the, the idea that I'm going to be committed to doing this no matter what. 
Instead, when difficulty arises, when there's persecution or hardship, or in fact, when there's any adversity, they begin to wilt because they don't have an emotional strength to say, I'm going to continue in this because it's right and good. That's a type of response. And all of us are going to have to battle it. Then he talks about the kind of ground where there's competing desires, what he calls the thorns. There's a lot of explanations for the thorns. Jesus, in the different places, he calls them the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, sometimes the deceitfulness of riches, sometimes the desires for other things. The idea is pretty simple. We just have so much going on, so much we're focused on, so much we care about, that there's only so much of us to go around. And so, yeah, I like Jesus and I like the Bible, but I also like this and I like this and I like this. And so at some point, you can hear lots about Jesus, but it's just going to kind of get squeezed out because there's so many other things going on. Competing desires make us respond in a certain way to the gospel. Jesus is saying the kingdom has to take precedence over the rest. We have to get fed first before we focus on the other stuff. And if we don't, we're going to struggle with the word going in, but no fruit coming out. And then he talks about the fourth kind of soil, that is the good fruit. Those who hold fast in a good and honest heart, who bear fruit with patience. So, the idea is the kingdom is like you plant seed in your garden. You plant seed in your garden, and, and maybe you, you notice that some places in the garden, things happen differently. Some places are more fruitful, better for other things than other places. So on one level, Jesus is answering the question, why does the gospel affect people differently? Have you ever noticed that? That you can talk to some people about the gospel and they just eat it up, and then you talk to other people about the gospel and you can't get two words out of your mouth before they're bored. Why is that? Well, here's the answer, because you're talking about different kinds of people. On another level, Jesus is teaching us to think about ourselves. What kind of soil am I? How am I receptive to God's invitation? Just what's happening in my heart, which one of these would characterize me? But here is what I especially want you to notice. Jesus is talking about our response to God as an initial thing and as a long-term thing. There's the, the seed when it's planted. How does the soil receive it? Is it hard and the birds eat it? Or does it begin to bear fruit? But then there is the ongoing problem. What happens when the sun comes out? What happens when the thorns grow up? What happens later? Ongoing. There is always this question. Am I going to respond to God not just by initially becoming a Christian? Am I going to respond to God by daily bearing fruit for Him? 30, 60, 100 fold. You see, both of those are here in the story. In the same way, we wouldn't just be concerned if we were planting seed in our garden, about whether or not that little sprout came up, we'd also be concerned about, is it going to have any fruit on it? What happens later? And so Jesus is too. It's not enough to say, yes, I respond positively initially. We have to continue that response. That's what the kingdom is like. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. What is the kingdom like? The kingdom is like you found a treasure or a pearl. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44. Matthew 13 and verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has 
and buys that field. Boy, it's a great little story. Have you ever had that feeling? You found something, you were excited, especially you knew that if somebody else came along first, you were going to lose it. So that's what he does. He finds it. He finds treasure hidden in the field, and he covers it up. Why is he covered up? I don't want anybody else to find that. And then he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Now, there are some parts of this that are not intended to apply to us. I don't think he is saying, hey, guys, let's be as dishonest as we can. Okay? I don't think he's talking about the ethics of this. I don't think he's talking about we should keep the gospel to ourselves because it's so valuable. Please, let's just, let's just get the point. What's the point? The gospel is incredibly valuable. And when you see it, how you respond to it is shown. How much you value it is shown by how you respond. What happens next? Then verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this man also finds a great treasure. He finds a pearl, but there's a difference here. Did you notice? See, the the first man, he's just walking around and he stumbles on a treasure. But this man is seeking. He is seeking fine pearls and he finds it. And when he sees it, he knows that's exactly what I've been looking for. Isn't there a difference between looking for treasure and stumbling on treasure? I think that's what Jesus is after here. What he is saying is that there are two different ways to think about the idea of how we respond to the kingdom. There are two different kinds of people. See, when Jesus came, there was a group of spiritually aware people who were waiting for the kingdom. You read in Luke 2 about Simeon and Anna. You read about people, they're waiting, they're looking, they're searching for fine pearls. And when Jesus comes, they jump on it. I think a lot of John the Baptist's disciples are those kind of people. They're waiting, they're looking. And when they see it, they seize it. But then there are other people, they aren't looking for anything. Well, at least they don't realize that they're looking for anything. I'm talking about the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The people who come near to Jesus. I'm talking about the poor and the demon-possessed people who are drawn to Jesus the harassed and helpless. See, they don't know they're looking for anything, but when Jesus comes, they say, that's what I was looking for and I didn't even know it. They are the ones who find a treasure hidden in a field and they sell everything they have. They jump on it. So, here's the question. If you have found a treasure or a pearl, what do you do about that? How do you respond? Will you make the changes and sacrifices necessary to have what you found? And I want to talk about one last story. It's in Matthew chapter 21. Let's go ahead and turn over there. The kingdom is like your dad has given you an errand. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 and verse 28. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. That's an odd little story, isn't it? You see, neither son really has the good response, which is to say, yes, I'll go, and then go. 
Instead, you've got that kind of interesting one says he won't and then does, one says he will and then doesn't. And so Jesus asked the question, which one did the will of his father? And that's pretty obvious, the one who actually did the will of his father. But then Jesus zings them. Did you notice it? Verse 31. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. See, you rejected John, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. But even when you saw it, you didn't change your mind and say, you know what, I probably should. The tax collectors had an initially poor response to God. After all, they became tax collectors and prostitutes. They sin, and yet they changed their mind when they saw and heard the gospel. This story is helpful to us because sometimes we get to be worried when we don't respond the way we should initially to God. You see, these other stories we've been talking about, they kind of paint it as either or. You know, you either go to the party or you don't. Or you either are bearing good fruit or you're not. Or you respond by selling everything you have to get the treasure pearl or you don't. But this story is helpful because what this story says is there are still opportunities. If we're still alive, there's still opportunities to respond rightly to God, to change our minds and to repent and go back to God. And that too is a response just like the responses in all of these other stories. So this story helps because it teaches us, even if you didn't initially respond the way you should to God, you can now. God is concerned about how you are responding now. So, what's the kingdom like? It's like you've been invited to a party. It's like you planted seed in your garden. It's like you found a treasure or a pearl. It's like your dad has given you an errand. And here it is. God has done something for us. And of course, what Jesus is alluding to is the fact that God has reached out to us in the person of His Son by offering His Son as a sacrifice for our sins, by offering a relationship that we can have with God through Him, by offering salvation and hope of eternal life. God has done it all. God has bridged the gap. God has come over to where we are, and God has reached out His hand saying, Come. He has made the feast ready, and He says, Come. Ball is in your court. You have an opportunity to make an initial response to God. Where you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to be right with God. But there are also consistent opportunities that each one of us has, day by day, week by week, year by year, by which we can say, yes, I still want to follow the Lord. I still want to be a disciple of Jesus. So, God wants to bless you. God has reached out to you. He has invited you to the party. How are you going to respond to that? And if you have become a disciple of Jesus, how are you responding right now? I want you to think about that. We're going to sing a song now that we call the invitation song because it is a time when we invite anyone in our audience who's worshiping with us to make a decision to turn to God and to turn away from your sin, to be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away, to become a child of God. We would love to help you do that.
But most of all, we want you to think about how you are responding to the overtures God is making to you. Jesus says, you've been invited to the party. The question is, will you come? Is there anyone here who has a need? Please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.